Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 141. I'm always dreaming about taking another Royal Caribbean cruise, and even when I'm on board my cruise, well, I'm lamenting it's not longer. Back-to-back cruises are a solution to both problems, and this week, Michael Poole is joining us to talk about his recent back-to-back cruise on Brilliance of the Seas. We talk about why he chose to do a back-to-back cruise in the first place, as well as review everything Brilliance of the Seas has to offer. Here we go. We all love taking Royal Caribbean cruises. I mean, that's why we have this whole podcast each and every week talking about going on Royal Caribbean cruises. But how about going on two Royal Caribbean cruises in a row? Yes, we all dream about that. Well, mostly just keep on cruising ad nauseum, just repeating. But going on to a back-to-back cruise is always something very exciting to think about. And, well, sometimes some of us get to try that out, including today's guest, which is, of course, the very famous, awesome, and has a great taste in beer, Michael Poole. Michael, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. And I'm really excited to talk about my back-to-back experience with everyone. Yeah, well, you know, Michael, I wasn't even going to bring you on the podcast. I'll be honest with you. I said, no, we've had enough Michael on here. But I am a man of the people, and the people have spoken. In fact, one person has spoken. <laughs> our our email listener, uh, Paul Jones from Marlowe, England, wrote me an email and said, just a quick hello and to thank you for a great blog every week. Your blog is very addictive and similar to cruising. The moment it finishes, I can't wait for the next one. After reading Michael Poole's blog from his nine-day cruise on board Brilliance of the Seas, is it possible to have him on your show so we can hear a more in-depth report after he gets back? I ask this because myself and my wife are now looking to the Caribbean to take a cruise for the next two to three cruises, and we'd like to get more knowledge from a professional cruiser like Michael and what helped us to include this type of ship cruise class in our plans. Kind regards from another cruise nerd. So... You, sir, the professional cruisers. This is his words, not mine. <laughs> we need we need your expertise, Michael. Wow, that was a great email. Thanks for sending that in, and and the pressure's on now. So um, I'm excited to share it with you. So let's talk about this. You did for those. Let me recap, and of course, I'll post in our show notes. By the way, a link to Michael's live blog they did from from Brilliant to the Seas, and it was a four and five day cruise back to back. On Brilliant to the Seas, and you did essentially there were it was a four day. Uh, both t- both itineraries went to the Western Caribbean. And one went to just Cozumel, and the other one went to Cozumel and Key West, and then there were obviously sea days mixed in there. Um, so let me let me start at the beginning, Michael. And I always find this question really interesting. Why did you pick? I always say, why did you pick this cruise? Why did you pick these cruises? Well, you know, I booked this these cruises last February when the Wow Sale came out, and I was going solo on this cruise, so price was kind of a major factor since you're typically paying double the full fare for two passengers. So on Brilliance of the Seas, they have three solo studio cabins, and the pricing for these were just – it was unreal, like less than $100 a day. So I originally booked three sailings in a row, but I had to drop one of the legs. (laughs) I know. What? Madness. Madness. I had to drop one of the legs so I could squeeze in another week cruise this summer. But um, nine days. So, you know, it was was mostly price driven, to be honest with you. Let me ask. Let me ask you this, Michael. You've been and I'm going to I'm going to paint a picture for you. I know you've been here. We've all been here. Picture that it's been at some point this year. It's going to happen if it hasn't happened already. You're going to get to like triple digits between cruises, right? You're going to get to like it's going to be months between cruises. In the back of your mind, are you think instead of taking a back to back, you could have split them up and had another cruise 
I mean, granted, they would have been two shorter cruises, but would it, would that kind of thought process ever enter your mind? Like you'd you know rather split it up and and kind of move it off, or is it the fact that they're shorter? They're not seven night cruises; they're three and four. Uh, sorry, uh, four and five nights. Does you know th- is that the factor in this case, or kind of give us a some insight as to why you went this route rather than trying to break them up and then kind of spread the cruising wealth as it were around the calendar? Right. No, that's a great question. Well, the main reason was, you know, the traveling cost to get down to Florida. So not all, all of us are so, you know, lucky to live in Florida like you, Matt. No, I'm just playing. But um, the the cost to get down to the cruise port versus doing it a couple times. And since they weren't full seven-day length cruises, I was able to squeeze. It was the five-day first and the four-day, so nine days. And I was able to just use five days of vacation time. So I, I, you know, that, that to me was kind of the deciding factor. Had it been two, seven days, that would have been a different story. Fair enough. I I think that, uh, that explains it quite a bit. So let's talk about, you went on Brilliant to the Seas. Give me your take. You've been on there nine days or longer than I was on there. I was only on there for four days. What's your take on Brilliance? What are your thoughts looking back on her now? And kind of what was your, what was your impression from her? First impression is is just wow. I mean, she's a beautiful ship. Those of you who've never sailed a Radiance class ship, I really encourage it. Uh, there's lots of glass everywhere, all over the ship. You know, even at guest services behind them where they're standing, it's glass windows. So it's just everywhere you go, you're going to see the ocean. So that you know is a great feature for the Radiance class. But it doesn't really stop there. the The brilliance of the seas has all the upgrades that you would want. It has the R bar. It has the pub, which you know is one of my favorite venues on the ships. It has the Giovanni's table, the chops. It does have Rita's Cantina, which we can talk about that a little more in depth. But you know, it has a variety of options, and the pricing on the Brilliance of the Seas is typically pretty attractive. You met, you brought up Rita's. Let's talk about it. Why did you bring it up? Well, Rita's Cantina is an a la carte restaurant. It's um, it's connected to the Windjammer. So it's in the aft of the ship, which I think the the highlight of that venue is is the view. You know, you're sitting back there. It's open open to the ocean breeze. You know, part of it's closed, part of it's open tables, but the food quality is just is lacking. They did recently install two new 50 inch TVs at the bar there, so they're trying to make it more of an evening sports bar. So if there's any games that you'd like to see, that may be a great spot to watch it at the bar there because the TVs are massive. But as far as the food, it's just you know it's nothing like Sabor. But the pricing, you know, you can you can order a couple things and they're just a couple dollars a piece. So. You know, you could try some things, but for me, it just wasn't my taste. I'm more of a Sabor fan. I think similar to you, Matt. Yeah, I, and I think I think you you nailed it. You go there for a drink, go there for a snack. Do not go to Rita's for a meal. And this is true of Rita's on any other ship that's that's still out there. Uh, it's it's unfortunate, really. But I guess you know when you and what I tell people is you know go there for 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 a snack. And the pricing is pretty low. That's probably the saving grace for this restaurant is that. I mean, the guac. I had the guacamole and I did not eat it at all. I just left it alone because it was quite honestly awful. But some of the other things aren't terrible. I mean, it's really hard to screw up a quesadilla, which they sh- they prove <laughs> it's it's really difficult to do that. Uh, you know, some things are better than others, but for chips, some the nachos and beers. I mean, you know, it's 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 it, it's not terrible, but it's you know not my favorite restaurant by any means. I do think though, 
along those lines, the specialty dining on Brilliance of the Seas, outside of Rita's, is really good and really strong. You've got, obviously, Giovanni's Table, Chop's Grill, uh, you have Izumi, and they're really uh, interesting. I, I actually I want to bring up Izumi because, Muggly, this was your first time ever going to Izumi, is that right? That's correct. I went on to Izumi on night one of the second leg. So what'd you, what'd you I made... I made reservations online, which is, you know, you don't pay anything online to make the reservations. So when you go, um, everything, you know, you pay a la carte pricing. There's not a typical cover charge. But the sushi was really excellent. There was a lot of variety on the menu. I was really pleasantly surprised on how many different rolls that they had. Um, I tried the tuna roll and the shrimp roll, and then I actually asked for more tuna rolls. I was like, can you bring me another another order of that? I just, I got to have more. Um, so your finest sushi. <laughs> <laughs> I will say night one, there was only three tables in there and one of them just was the cruise director. So that was kind of cool getting to talk to him. But I would think that venue would pick up more into the, the cruise itself. Day one's typically a lighter night for the specialty dining. Uh, I know that you mentioned that you were able to get the sake with the drink package. They, they did not allow me to get the sake with the drink package. So womp womp. I didn't get to try any. But I did try a couple of their cocktails, and I would say cocktails is not their specialty. Stick to the sushi rolls. No, when I go there, Michael, it's all beer. I go, I go the Michael Poole route. In fact, I go for <laughs> I go for the beer, and then obviously sake. But that's kind of interesting because when I was on there in November, they did offer the. There was one variety of hot sake that was available, and hey, if it's available, it's included in the package. That's fine. But you know what's interesting is the only I went when I was on Brilliance. I went there every night. And there was one night they were really busy, which was formal night, but the other nights I didn't have as much trouble getting into. Did you eat in at any other specialty restaurants on board? So I did go to Giovanni's Table twice on the second leg. So I had made reservations online for night three, which was Cozumel, Mexico that evening. And they did a courtesy call to the room to confirm a reservation. So I thought that was nice. And they also offered us to come early if we would like due to low reservations that evening. Uh, we stuck to our 8.30 time, but the dining at Giovanni's Table on the Brilliance of the Seas is, to me, is is where it's at. It's the sweet spot. I, you know, I had the filet both nights, and it was just, it was phenomenal. It tastes just like the Chops filet, in my opinion, and the cover charge at Giovanni's is $25 um, versus Chops for would dinner. be 35 Yeah, for dinner, for 35 So I had dinner twice at Giovanni's, and I, and I really loved it. And, one little pointer for those of you going on the brilliance, you know, in the upcoming weeks before it goes over is if make your reservations for seven thirty and you get to watch the sunset at dinner. I mean, that was just an amazing experience. Unless you go if you go during when you went, because when I went during <laughs> in November, which is at like really one of the darkest times of the year, literally, it when we went under this under the bridge in Tampa, it was already dark out, and I saw your photos. Like, wow, it's so sunny. I'm like, oh yeah, because it's spring now, and I, he didn't go in the dead of winter. Yeah, I remember that from when you were periscoping. It was really dark, but um, Giovanni's table is excellent. Uh, I had dined with two Pinnacle members, and they had lasagna ready for me, and you know that's my favorite. Typically, they only serve that at lunch. But if you ask them politely when you make reservations to save you some from lunch, they, they usually will if, if that's a, an option that you're looking for. I'm going to give our listeners my top four. <laughs> These are the ones <laughs> I think of right now. Top four Giovanni's Table uh, things. The, the filet at dinner, not at lunch. It is a different filet. The dinner filet, number one. Number two is the scallops. Those are uh, 
that yeah. really amazing. The lasagna, yes, I agree with you, Michael, hundred percent amazing. And the eggplant parm, those are my. If you go there, you will not need your belt. Do not bring it. Just leave it back in the room because it's only going to get in the way. Yes, and save room for the tiramisu. Oh my yeah. gosh, the dessert cart in general. Yes, very. very I, I, that was like the best dessert I had the whole cruise. That tiramisu is something special. Sort of along the lines of food. Let me talk about something else because you tried to do something that you failed at. But, but nonetheless, you gave it the good college try, which was oh. not to get a drink package this time. And this is interesting. Let me, give some, let me give some background to Michael. Michael has traditionally, on every cruise he's ever gone to that I've ever known him for, has gotten a drink package. Usually the select package. You went crazy on Enchantment of the Seas earlier this year and got the premium package. But this time you wanted to see if you could do it. And spoiler alert, you did, you failed after a day or two. Tell us about your experiences. I think this is interesting, not from a making fun of you standpoint, which I always enjoy, but from a from an educational standpoint. Why? Tell us why you ended up caving in, getting the drink package. Okay, so leg one was the five day sailing, and I knew I was getting on board late leg one, which to me, I guess noon is late, but I wasn't breaking down the doors you know, the mat style at 9am. So I was like, you know, I'm going to be periscoping around and I'm not going to be drinking a lot. Day one, day two, we were in Key West. So I wanted to spend the day in Key West. So I decided to go a different route and not purchase the drink package. And it was a laughing joke. People had bets. How, how, you know, will I cave in? But pleasantly, I was surprised paying all the cart prices on how much I spent versus the daily cover charge of the drink package. So day one, I my bar tab was $21. And day two, when you factor the beers in Key West, plus on board, it was around $20, $25. So here comes day three, the first true sea day. So I'm sitting on the pool deck at 9 a.m. and I'm seeing people order their Bloody Marys, their you know morning mimosas. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be sitting here all day and I'm going to want you know, I'm a big beer Stella drinker. So I said, what the heck? I remember texting Matt. I was like, I'm getting the package. So I did cave in on day three and purchase the package. They do prorate it. So you only pay for the remaining days of your cruise. So it wasn't the full, you know, cruise price of the package. So, you know, could I have gone without getting the package and probably came ahead? Yes, I probably could have. But I just caved in under peer pressure and I went for it. So you felt like you were you felt like you were holding back essentially without the package, right? And and I felt like I was going to be out there for eight hours. I mean, you know me, I go to the pool deck early morning hours and I don't leave. And I didn't want to feel like I was holding back on my vacation. Um, but okay, you know, the ne- I was going to say the next day I was in Cozumel all day, so I knew I wasn't going to use the package. So I could have gone without purchasing it. It's interesting. I mean, I always feel I have the opposite when I got the, when I had the drink package in Brilliance. That was the first time I actually got it, and I always felt like I was drinking for the sake of drinking. Like I was like, "Well, should I get a drink?" Well, yeah, I'll get it because I got the package, and gosh darn, it, I'm going to get my money's worth out of it. And you know, it, it was fine, but I kind of realized at the end of my cruise, like, well, I really I'm not a drink package. Per- I don't think I come out ahead. Not I think I forced myself to drink in order to come out ahead, and that wasn't enjoyable for me. And it's kind of interesting that you had. Uh, a different take, but none of us are wrong. I mean, there's plenty of people here who are nodding our, your, their heads to either what I just said or what you just said. And hey, that's what's great about Royal Caribbean Cruise, right? You get to pick the option that appeals to you. 
That's right. I don't have any regrets. I kind of thought it was a unique experience for me to try without the drink package and discover how much I was actually spending on drinks when I was paying for them. So, you know, going forward, most likely I will still get the drink package. But, you know, if I go solo and I, you know, I could see I could see the option not to as well. Let me ask you about something else you mentioned you touched upon and I wanted to get more insight on this. The the onboard activities, because you're a big fan of not only just being on the ship, but also taking advantage of what Royal Caribbean offers you on board. And you're a big fan of the pool deck. You love spending a lot of time there and being a part of the essentially the entertainment schedule that that's provided for you. And I know that on your live blog that I alluded to earlier, you were a really big fan of the cruise director and kind of what the activities they have laid out. What made the activities on Brilliance of the Sea stand out to you so much? Well, the cruise director was Ricky Matthews, and he just hopped over from the Oasis, and he's headed to the, I believe, the Anthem after his break. But Ricky Matthews did a great job. He was so much energy. I've never seen a cruise director just have this endless energy. Like, I kept thinking to myself, how many cups of coffee does he have a day? Um, <laughs> so he did the belly flop contest, which, you know, we've all seen if you've done a Royal Caribbean cruise. They're all very similar. But his was a little different. He was creating almost like a song, like a rap song in a way, when he was calling out the scores to just make more fun of the game. So he was almost like singing to us when he was calling out the scores. So I thought that was fun. You know, he did the Under the Stars party. And on the second leg, there was so much participation, he decided to just keep it going. You know, typically those shut down and they kind of shift to the nightclub. But he was like, you know what, let's just stay out here all night. And you know, that was something that he made a decision, you know, the guests are having fun out here, so let's just keep it going. So, you know, there was plenty of options. I didn't go to any of the theater shows, but I will say that throughout the cruise, there was so much trivia. Like, I spent a lot of time in the schooner bar, and it seemed like about every hour to two hours, there was a trivia game. And so there was plenty of entertainment. The music, there was live music in the pub, there was live music in the schooner bar, there was live music in the centrium. So, you know, there was different types of music all over the ship. And, you know, in past cruises on the smaller ships, uh, you know, they'll have one entertainer and they'll kind of hop venues or two entertainers at hop venues. But on the Brilliance, I didn't have that. There was plenty of entertainers everywhere. So the entertainment was it was really high on the Brilliance of the Seas. That's great. I'm excited to hear it because I know a lot of people, you know, they're look, and we said this earlier, you know, it's you, you make the cruise what you want it to. If you want to sit in your room all day, you can do that. If you want to sit at the pool deck and just take a nap all day, I've done that. If you want to uh, go and do every single thing listed in the cruise compass, you can do that as well. And it's always great to hear that they've got a great entertainment staff on board because, hey, you never know when you want to jump in on something or just watch something like the belly flop competition or the quest or the Love and Marriage game show, you know, it, it, it's all really fun stuff, and I just like having all that at my fingertips to be able to, you know, decide what I want to end up doing, because that's what makes the vacation so interesting for everybody. I agree, and, I, and I'm sad to report, Matt, that I didn't make it to the quest to either sailings. What? I know, I know. I don't I, know you. No drink package, no quest, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, here's let me give you. Uh, we're gonna go out on this question for you. Uh, you went to two different places. You went to Cozumel and you went to Key West. Actually, you went to Cozumel twice. I know you did the same thing though in Cozumel both times. Give right. us your quick review, quick, quick synopsis of each port and a recommendation for people who are maybe going to those ports as well. So Key West, that was our first stop. 
Uh, you arrive on my sailing. We arrived at noon and we left at five. So very short time there. I decided to have lunch at Sloppy Joe's. It's a long-standing restaurant there in Key West. It's not hard to miss. It's a straight shot. Live music, great local beers. I had fish tacos. You know, it was an amazing meal experience. I love it there. Um, I walked around the streets and then kind of headed back to the ship. So not a lot of time to do a lot of things when I was there. For Cozumel, Mexico, I went to Nachi Cocom, and I, as Matt said, I went both times on both sailings. It's $55. It includes all of your food, beverages at the, the beach resort, and they only allow 100 guests per day. Um, I've also done a full blog posting review on Nachi, so if you're interested in that, you can read more details there. But the great service, great food, and just a relaxing beach day, and that's really what I was looking for in Cozumel. Awesome. I will post a link in our show notes, by the way, to Michael's review of Nachi. So that way, if anyone's interested, you can take a look at it and get some more information on it. Michael, it sounds great. What's your next cruise you got lined up? I'm going on a lure of the seas. And at the time of recording this, it's 55 days away. So there'll be another live blog for those of you that just can't get enough. Woot. Nice. Love it. Well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on here and talking talking about Brilliance. This is a great ship, in fact. Well, thanks for having me, guys, and until next time, I'll see you at sea. Once again, it's time to dive into our email inbox where I read your Royal Caribbean emails, and I love reading these, in fact. So if you want to email me about anything on your mind, whether you have a question, a comment, maybe you read something on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, I said, Matt, I need to share my thoughts on this, or Matt, what's your advice on XYZ, whatever the case may be. I'm here to help, and of course, we want to make sure we're reading your emails. Emailing Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. And our first email this week comes to us from Garrett Keating, who writes, Matt, we just got back from our Navigator of the Seas Cruise of the Bahamas. We had an awesome time, and while short, it was a much-needed break for my wife and I. I know you love bullet points, and I do. So here goes. Number one, Navigator is a phenomenal ship. I see why she's your favorite. Everything was clean and the crew were amazing. The R bar is the best bar on the ship. As a former bartender, I can tell you the staff there is about as professional as they come, handling the pressure with a smile and efficiency you only get with years and years of experience. Even when dealing with the less than pleasant guests, they kept their cool and never missed a beat. Support was really good. I think I might have gone in expecting more. Don't get me wrong. It was not a bad experience. I just found the food and service to be good enough, but nothing amazing would definitely go back. Coco Cay was a no-go due to high sea swells. We couldn't make the stop there since the tenders couldn't be used. Instead, we sailed on as Nassau and got in at 7 o'clock p.m. I was fine with this and that the cruise didn't have any sea days, but that was the way that we got at least one day in. Nassau was more fun than I was expecting. I had emailed you a while back trying to find something worthwhile to do there. A show or two after that, you brought a guest on and went over the options of Nassau. She recommended the Bites of Nassau tour, and it did not disappoint at all. It was a great three hours and included five locations. It had a great mix of history, sightseeing, and food. In a few locations, the offerings were more than just samples. I finished the tour full. Alex was our guide, and I highly recommend checking them out. At Izumi, this place never ceases to amaze. The food, drinks, the service, and atmosphere were all amazing. In Fort Lauderdale, we had a few hours to kill between arrival and our flight home, so I had heard about the service called Silver Car that's based out of a few airports around the country. Think of it like Uber, but for rental cars. Everything is controlled with an app, including unlocking your car and completing the rental process. No paperwork. The first rental they, the first rental they do ask is your license and credit card. 
The only rent silver Audi A4s. We picked up our keys and headed into Everglades to explore. If you've never driven in that area, it's a ton of fun, especially in an A4. Long, flat roads, windows down, music up. We found a place called Gator Park, which is at GatorPark.com, where we stopped for an airboat ride through the Everglades, followed by an animal show. We also stopped at the Mikosuke Restaurant. I definitely did not pronounce that correctly, and I apologize. The Gator Bites were awesome. Overall, a great trip, short but great. We've already planned our next cruise in April 2017 out of San Juan to on Jewel the Seas to St. Lucia, St. Thomas, Barbados, St. Kitts, and Antigua. Thanks again for a great show. Garrett, thank you so much. Love to hear that. Of course, as you may or may not be aware, Garrett, I'm going on Navigator of the Seas here in a couple of weeks, and I am super excited. So I love hearing firsthand reviews of, as you what you know, is my favorite Royal Caribbean ship. I'm glad to hear you had an awesome time on board, and I'm looking forward to getting back on there as well. Next up is an email from Patrick from Wisconsin. Matt, been a while since I last wrote in, but I have a couple quick questions regarding cruises not leaving from the United States. Can you or any of your listeners speak the differences between these cruises and those leaving domestically? My major concern is how English plays a factor in terms of language. Is English still the common language on board, or does it usually mirror the country of origin? Additionally, are there rules or laws that have that we have in the United States that are different from other countries? I know the drinking age is probably one, but not sure of others. And lastly, what about food and drinks? Does Royal Caribbean typically have the same food for all cruises, or is it going to be more in tune with the region? I want to make sure that my impulse Sorrentos will still be there. <laughs> Patrick, great email, in fact, and great question. I know you know, this podcast is actually heard from folks all over the world, and I would recommend actually, and I would ask, if anybody has lots of experience taking cruises out of the United States and overseas, maybe out of Europe, Australia, doesn't matter where, I would love to hear those kinds of differences compared to contrasted. Now, I haven't taken any cruises outside the United States, but I can give you Patrick, some insight as to things that I am aware of. Number one, one thing is the drinking age. It's got to be a country. It's got to be a cruise that goes out of a country. You can't ever go to the United States. So obviously, a cruise that leaves a European cruise may have a lower drinking age. Asian countries as well. Um, So that that's pretty much a straightforward thing. One thing that is very common is English is still always going to be a common language on board. They may make announcements in other languages as well, but Royal Caribbean typically on almost all their cruises. I don't know of any that don't and. Granted, I've been on every single one, but English is always a language that they're going to make announcements in. They may make it in other languages as well, but from what I understand, English is still a common language they're going to say all on on there. In terms of the food, it's kind of interesting because I remember that, as many of you know, I am a big fan of, of Indian food. I love it. It's, it's To me, it's just so, so good. And I know that a couple of folks have mentioned to me that on itineraries, predominantly European itineraries, the array of Indian food is is much greater than maybe out of the United States. There's still plenty in the U.S., but that being said, they do, I think, curtail their offerings in some extent to their areas, to who they're on board with them, but at the same token, it's still an option. There's still going to be plenty. Sorrento's still going to be serving pizza. Johnny Rock is still going to be serving burgers. I think the only exception I've ever seen to this are cruises that go out of China, whereas we know on Quantum of the Seas and now Ovation of the Seas, the location that was Johnny Rockets on a quantum class ship has turned into a noodle house and serves, obviously, Asian food. But generally speaking, cruises out of Europe, Australia, South America, for that matter, and pretty much anywhere else outside of China are going to be essentially the same. If you go on a Royal Caribbean ship, whether it's in Europe, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Australia, it's pretty much the same experience all around. I get some minor tweaks and differences here and there, but... I think it's largely Patrick going to be what you've experienced before. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. 
but it's a good question. And again, if anyone has some good experience comparing both, I'd love to hear some comparisons and some contrast between the two because I think it's a really good, uh, good question from Patrick. Next, we have an email from uh, Brian who writes, We've heard you talk about the challenges when dealing with Galveston. We're looking for some advice flying into Houston and getting to the hotel cruise port and getting back. Uh, what are some of the best methods you found? I know it's a popular topic. We're looking for a family cruise in October with my sister and kids joining us. They would be first-time cruisers. So we're trying to keep in mind her budgets that we have ruled out Oasis-class ships due to costs. So that will limit us to only Liberty at this current time. Brian, it's a good question. I get this quite often, in fact. How do you get to Galveston? Because here's the thing. If you're flying into the area, you're going to be flying into somewhere in Houston, more than likely. It's either Houston Hobby, which is a small regional airport, or Houston International, which is the larger airport. Essentially, it's almost like, well, I was going to compare it to LaGuardia and JFK in New York City. I'm not sure it's an appropriate comparison, but nonetheless, you get the idea. There's Actually, you know what's a better one is in Los Angeles, you've got LAX, which would be the Houston International, versus the Houston Hobby, which is more like John Wayne and... Very good. That makes, I'm sure there's like 10 people who got that reference. But nonetheless, <laughs> there are two airports. The differences between the two, not they're negligible. Houston Hobby is closer to the port because it's basically on the other side of town. So you get to save a little bit of a drive there. But if you ask me, there's not really much of a difference. I've flown into Houston International. It was fine. Here's the problem. The problem is Galveston does not have a rental car company business that is set to operate on weekends, which is when most cruises go out. So you can't do a one-way rental. And without that option, you've got a couple options. One is you rent a car for the whole duration and you're paying for days that you're at sea. So you rent the car on whenever you arrive in Houston, you drive the car to the port, you pay for the you're paying for the car to sit in a parking lot and you're paying the days on the rental car and then you take said car and return back. Number 2 is you take private transportation, be it a a private car service, a limousine, one of those options. And number three is you take Royal Caribbean's transfers. The problem with Royal Caribbean's transfers is you have to do that on the day of the cruise. And it's a problem for people like me because I like to get in there at least a day early, if not longer, so I can get more time out of the vacation and not have any travel delays. So what's the best option? Well, if you're on a budget, the transfers are going to be your best bet because they're going to be the most inexpensive option out there. Basically, if you were going to fly in before, Brian, what you do is just fly to Houston, stay in Houston, check out what Houston has to offer, and then take the transfers over to Galveston, and that'd probably be your most inexpensive option, I would think. The problem with all the other options are they tend to be very expensive, unless you find a dirt cheap rental car rate, or you find uh, a good deal on private car transportation, like a limo or something like that, but it's not going to be as cheap as, say, when you're going to ports like, obviously, uh, you know, Port Canaveral or Fort Lauderdale or basically any cruise port in Florida, New York, <laughs> Baltimore. The, because without the rental car market to keep prices down, the other, the few limited options that are, are left tend to be a little more expensive. And the problem is the distance between Houston and Galveston is just long enough that it makes a taxi or something like that just expensive. It's not prohibitively expensive, but... There is no really good slam dunk answer. That's the problem. Now, if you got more people going with you, well, then maybe something called a limo. Again, I mean, you break up the cost. It's not bad. But if you're looking for like a family of four and you mentioned that your sisters and kids are coming, you have to do the math. It's one of those things. But I think you're going to find, Brian, is there's no really good option there. So maybe the money you're saving on your cruise by going on Liberty may be offset now by the transportation costs. But it is what it is. And... Yeah, you got to do the math, see what's the cheapest option for you, and go with that. So, uh, good luck with that, Brian, and thanks for the email. Appreciate it. 
And our last email this week comes to us from Tim, who writes, My previous cruises have been with children, so early dining was in the main dining room was really the only choice for dinner. However, my wife and I are cruising without kids in June on Adventure of the Seas. What are the pros and cons to early versus late dinner? We like traditional dinner in the main dining room, so we do not plan on doing my time dining. Uh, traditional dining early versus late. This is a good question, actually. So you take kids out of the equation. Here's the... I mean, it's the same experience no matter what, right? You're, you're either eating early or eating late. There are some nuances. One is if you're eating early seating dinner, you're going to have to get ready sooner. Obviously, that's just makes sense. But the impact of that is obviously what you're doing during the daytime, more so during when you're in port. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're in port and you're going to adventure the seas. I know you're going to the Southern Caribbean and there's not a whole lot of travel time between the ports. A lot of them are very, very close. So let's say you're you're in port till 7 o'clock p.m. on any given port. doesn't matter which one, right? You're there till 7. Well, if your dinner is at 5 or 5.30, that means you're cutting out some time out of the port that you otherwise could have spent there. And that's kind of an, uh, an impact on there. And that can happen. It can also obviously occur with uh, activities on board. If there are activities at, say, 4 o'clock or 4.30, Obviously, you'll be getting ready for dinner at that time, so that may not work for you. Now, of course, as you probably know, Tim, the entertainment schedule is based around traditional dining. So what's usually offered, like the, the main show in the in the theater, what's ever showed, you know, they're shown twice so that people in early and late seating can both enjoy it no matter what. The advantage of early seating is that, well, you're you're out earlier and you're, you have more time in the evening, right? So you're done around 7, 8 o'clock, and that means you have the entire evening in front of you. So... You know, you're not versus late dinner, dinner where you're not getting out until 9, 30, 10 o'clock or so. You know, for, for some people like myself, that's sorry, you're getting late, double digits. Oh my gosh. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a later start to your evening plan. So there's, there's good and bad. I like late seating just because there's two main reasons. There are less kids in, in late seating. That's not a big factor for me. I'm used to kids. I have two of them. It doesn't really phase me. Some people are bothered by it, but. If, if it's a concern for you, late seating offers you that. And number two is I like having more time, again, during the daytime. Because, again, if for an early seating dinner, you have to start getting ready in the 3 to 4 o'clock hour, depending on how long it takes. And you know who you people are who take hours to get ready. I'm not I'm not pointing any fingers, but there's some people take longer than others to get ready. That can be an issue in terms of t- just taking up more of your afternoon time. So it's kind of like, well, where do you want to have the time going? I've just, I've kind of gravitated more and more towards that late seating, but that's just me. Uh, I, I don't think there's really a, a, a slam dunk answer one way or the other, but I personally lean towards late. But the advantage of early is that, hey, having those evening, you know, you're out there at seven o'clock or so, boy, you got a lot of options now in terms, and you're not staying up nearly as late. You're not forcing yourself because when I have that late seating and I'm getting out of dinner at nine thirty, ten o'clock. I'll be honest with you, I'm pushing myself to get to 11 midnight because that's only an hour or two after dinner, you know what I mean? It's like, if you want to go to the casino and do a little gambling, or you want to go see the show, or you want to go to the, the schooner bar, as, as Michael talked about earlier in this episode, you know, to go do some trivia or listen to the piano bar at at that late hour, well, you're, you got to stay up later, so... It, there's, there's there's good and there's bad, and I hope that answers your question there, Tim, about what to do early versus late. And thank you all so much for, of course, sharing your emails and your thoughts, and love hearing them. So if you have your, you have a question, a comment, a thought about Royal Caribbean, well, let's talk about it. Send me an email, matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Would love to talk about it more. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.